Start your engines and join me in the new mobile game, RuPaul's Drag Race Superstar. May the best superstar win. Available now. In a world full of straight people, aren't you glad there's WOW Presents Plus, the number one place in the world to see Drag Race? Subscribe to WOW Presents Plus. Still only $4.99. Subscribe today as streamed on TV. I'm Matt McConkie. I'm a writer, actor, and devoted fan of Sex and the City and And Just Like That. And I've spent so much time and energy fervently defending the show that I couldn't help but wonder, should I do a podcast about this? The answer, of course, is no, but And Just Like Matt is more than a podcast. It's a faith-based community with a shared mission to bring back Samantha full-time. And it's also a call to action. It's a plea because I'm begging you just like me. Come on, you know you want to. And maybe after you give this episode a listen, you will. Much like... Samantha in that short but sweet phone call, he is back. And much like Samantha, looks absolutely snatched, uh, gorgeous. And we're just so happy to, to see him, even if only for a brief moment. He is, of course, the writer, executive producer, director, showrunner of it, just like that. Michael Patrick King, welcome back. I'm fucking furious. <laughs> As Samantha would say in her, her uh, cameo. No, I'm thrilled to be back, Matt. Thank you for your constant analysis, therapy session, autopsy, <laughs> writing, writing, writing. I have to say writing three times. You're constantly writing. Sure. You, you and your you and your guests are writing all the time. Yeah, it's, some, some real failed pitches are being thrown around in this show. I hope it was a success for you because it was certainly fun for, for me to sort of come in and out of, depending on how strong I was. I Well, I, I'm curious how strong you're feeling right now because I, you know, am fe- I'm out of sorts because there's sort of this mixture of the, the manic high of the news that season three is coming mixed with the inevitable depression that season two is over. So where do we find you today? I'm thrilled. Today? I'm thrilled. I couldn't be happier. Um, the impossible happened again, an enormous dialogue. I think that the needle swung a little bit more into the understanding of the difference between and just like that and sex in the city. I love that it had enough spikes that people were furious still. I love that it mm-hmm. had what people thought was a return to the other series. I loved it all. I, I, I'm really thrilled. I think that the finale and the thing you were asking for constantly, which of course I was going to do, was that sit down with all of those phenomenal characters and those actors. And I'm really happy with the happy, unhappy ending that we did, that people can go either way in their minds with, oh, she's definitely going to wait and wind up with Aiden or, oh, good, she doesn't have to be with him anymore. That swing of people who want Carrie to be with someone forever and that very other active part where people like Carrie can't be with him forever. So I feel we we landed the complicated problem that everybody was wondering, how the hell are they going to get out of this? Yeah. Well, I mean, I have so many questions about the finale, but... 
you know, right now, obviously we're on strike. You're not in production, but what does your day-to-day life look like creatively? I'm not doing anything creatively in terms of actualization. I'm doing things like hiking and thinking and letting ideas sort of float in as to what could be next. And, you know, that's the process. The process is they sort of talk to you a little bit. They knock on the door. You think, what would be really great? What would be really upsetting? What would be real? What would be maybe a reach? I mean, it's just all flying through. I mean, we have set up a clear sky. I mean, the finale ends with a blue horizon and uh, it's all blue sky at this point. So it's really like, okay, now what? Now that you have these characters and people are now even more involved and starting to own the new ones, which is, you know, the struggle with the first season was people owned Carrie, Miranda, Charlotte and Samantha, they owned them. And so it was a lot of these are my people. Why are they moving like this? Like, do you remember in those old, like Greek Hercules movies where uh, Zeus would be on, in a cloud and moving Hercules around on a chessboard, and there'd be other nymphets <laughs> around him. And I felt people were feeling like we were just casually moving people around this cosmic chessboard, and it wasn't yeah. the path they imagined. So now they're starting to feel a little bit more ownership to the other characters, the newer characters. So that's even more of exciting. There's nothing daunting about it. It's a thrill yeah. to be able to do another series, another season of a series that is the brand is 25 years old and it's still so alive and kicking that people want to beat it up sometimes. I mean, that it's alive and running down the street screaming and people are like chasing it. It's really great. And um, I feel that what happens in the creative process, you know, you're a writer, as I've heard from your many good pitches, um, that, <laughs> that, you know, you start to think and imagine and dream what could come. And then the technical structural stuff starts to show up as well. And in the meantime, are you able to take any kind of real proper break? Like, oh, yeah. I mean, I want to see you on a Greek island. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm completely, cosmos. I'm completely, you know, once the finale, you're sort of energy held. It's like a force field between, or for me anyway, between me, the projection of what the reaction to each episode will be, then the reaction then the next episode watching us sort of say, well, remember what you didn't like in that one? We fixed it in this one on purpose. Mm. But like once the finale aired, I was like, boom, tractor beam off. This is the last thing I'm doing about the show this season. And so I, it is time to let go and I can feel it, but it's impossible while it's still in the world and active. So big picture, just comparing the two seasons to each other, what did you take away from the experience of season one that informed how you might have done things differently this time around? Season one must, and I know you're about to speak about it, which is that's so indulgent for us. That's like eating a basket of white chocolate, not even regular chocolate. It's so rich that you're going back in to deconstruct the troubled first season, quote unquote. Um, The first season was incredibly necessary to the second season. Without the first season, nobody would have felt excited about the moments of silliness in the second season. They wouldn't have been so connected to Carrie. And I think that the second season was about people connected, deeply connected to Carrie. 
And Sarah Jessica's performance, all I've heard really is people talking about her acting, her acting, her acting. But Carrie had to be dark so she could be light this year. And that's what I said when we started talking about the season with you. It's a lighter season because it is. So my reaction to the first season was, oh, really? Oh, you hate that. Okay. You hate Che. You, You think Che's a monster. Okay. Well, what if Che isn't what if you go mm. underneath che and see the human parts of che and every time you know as long as i'm talking about che every time someone then you can tell dave this for me every dave holmes your co-partner yeah every time someone says they hate che i go no you hate stand-ups you hate stand-ups mm. stand-ups are that and stand-ups are annoying and stand-ups sometimes fall flat and same time sometimes stand-ups aren't funny only to themselves and, uh, you know, anybody who stands on stage and says, I'm the art, is going to be trouble in real life. <laughs> They're just going to be. Oh, yeah. So I thought that coming in, the, the reaction to Che was a giant, like, nuclear uh, reactor for me. Because I was like, oh, good. Let's, let's see what happens if we, if we go under Che and, and take Che through vulnerability to making terrible financial mistakes, like renting a house in... Hudson Yards and then, but you know, they were, what do you call that? Fast cash. They just like, oh, it's coming. I can spend it all. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm on a series. It's all gone, you know, to the, to the, to the, you know, hang in there, baby cat poster, Che, working at the, at the vet tech, like, oh, now we're supposed to like them because they have a kitty. And then the friend of Che, the friend of Carrie's sort of reunites again. And then you go, oh, we like Che because they are, we like them with Carrie. And then just mm-hmm. when you think, oh, we've, speaking of vanilla, white chocolate, right? When you think we made a white chocolate, we have Che return to their stand up and be monstrous to Miranda. Yeah. And then, oh, God. And, and the see between them outside the club. And you know, Matt, that wasn't in the table read that we were very afraid of going really? there. And when I heard the table read, I was like, this is just too nice they she wasn't even at the club they were just going to meet and say oh what happened you ghosted me i was like no this is you know thunderdome they want red meat i want red meat i want to see i want to see red meat thrown in the street in brooklyn and i want to see the two of them screaming i want to see miranda screaming at che and i want to see che return to what stand-ups do which is deconstruct everyone in their life for a possible laugh from a 30 sought person room on a bad night in a Brooklyn club. That's how bad it is for recognition. And it was all there to get Che to fucking walk away and say, I left my jokes. Who gives a fuck? I don't care about anything. Che left that stand-up mm. books on that stage. That's the end of that. Che's done with that whole thing. But the line that I love in the fight is where was where was this material? Where are the jokes about what a fucking mess you are? And Che saying, I was getting to them because every good stand-up knows the biggest fool in your act needs to be you. So yeah, I, and I know people are divided as to whether that was a sincere line, and I I believe that th- yeah, there was a whole set coming. Even when when Sada and I were talking, the only conversations that was back and forth a lot in the the Che writing this season was the stand-up material. How hard should it be? What is it? How long should it be? What's it about? And the line where Chase says, I just got out of a relationship, six-month relationship with a straight white woman. Sada said to me, do we have to say straight and white? 
And I go, yeah. And they said, why? And I said, because that's what a stand would say to get the audience to go, yeah. oh, which is what the audience would do. Everybody, everything's up. So a straight white married woman. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, thank you. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what makes the audience go, oh. But it was sincere yeah. to me. I think I think Che had more material about themselves, a lot more. Yeah. And where we leave Che at the end of season two, you know, it's unresolved. I mean, as Che says, I'm emotionally transitioning, but it's open and positive and feels like, you know, almost to the extent that it could be a satisfying conclusion to Che's story. Yeah, I mean, everything is a satisfying conclusion to everyone's story. I mean, whenever I write a, a, a season, I always make the finale stand alone. I mean, it, even the first season ended, like there might not be a second season. So if you walk away from right. everything in the second season, and I didn't know there was a third season when I started the second season. So everybody has sort of landed on their new turf. And for me, an unknown turf is still a known idea. If someone's saying, I don't know who I am now, after they've been yelling, this is who I am for two seasons, is a very strong conclusion of a character, no matter what happens next. I mean, uh, you know, Naya finally getting someone to come into her house that she respects and not a tender guy, which was clearly a Sex in the City one-off guy. Um, but, and it's important that he says, do you have anything to eat rather than jump into bed? Because we've seen her in bed. So it was important for us that, that, they're going to have a meal. So that could be her ending. LTW and Herbert are perfectly come to this sensitive place about their relationship where they understand that they, God has other plans for them, to quote him. And she's doing a PBS thing. Charlotte and Harry, Charlotte basically throws the gauntlet down and says, I'm doing this, minus the blackout drinking. And he steps mm. up and gets her the phone that says, you're going to be even more powerful. You know, Miranda has some connection to a new life, which is she has the thing that we tried so hard to, to make sure she had. BBC, talking to the BBC about refugees, which is the whole reason she started the series saying, I want to do more. I can't just wear a pink pussy hat and, and, and go to marches. I want to be more. Um, you know, and then Carrie has Seema on the beach. And one sentence in that scene tells you sort of a little bit of Carrie's thought process. When Seema says... About, about Aiden? Yeah, about the situation. She says, so what, we, we wait five years? You're going to wait five years? And she says, I may get some time off for good behavior. That, to me, already shows Carrie's like, hmm, I don't really know what I, you know, what's happening. I don't know what I agreed to, but I'm, you know, five years is, you know, like it already says. And then the end of that scene is she says, there'll be more. And Seema says, men. And she says, cocktails. So that could be the mm -hmm. end of that if there wasn't a season three. So I always like to write everybody having something so that television is very unpredictable. And if, yeah. and, and suddenly you don't come back and then everybody goes like, what? You know, at least this is like, okay, but we are coming back. You are. And when we think about those lines you mentioned in terms of not series enders, but breadcrumbs for season three, it opens up a whole new set of questions because Carrie's line both of those lines are so specific and just ambiguous enough because time off for good behavior 
could mean Aiden and I are still going to see each other. We're going to have some flings between now and five years from now. It could also mean we're kind of in an open relationship. Maybe there are, in addition to more cocktails, there are more men. You know, that was probably the question I got the most when listeners wrote in for questions for you was like, what is the meaning? What are the rules around these five years? And are we meant to obviously we'll find out in season three, but right now, are we meant to leave season two thinking that Carrie does have freedom to see other people over the next five years? I'm going to answer this as honestly as I know. I don't know because Mm. I think we all, the writers and the audience ended in the exact same place. What just happened? Yeah. (laughs) And what's next? What just happened? We know that they didn't cry all night in bed. We know that they had a evolved evening. We know that he's confident. He says nothing bad is going to happen. And John Corbett's performance of that line is like you could, you could, a, a tsunami couldn't knock him over. He's so solid when he says that line. And she has said none of this was a mistake. So I have to say we're all in a suspended almost. We should all just lean into the look on Carrie's face when she says, um, I may get some time off from good behavior. I, we all don't know. We're all together. That's what makes it so exciting for me as a writer as I walk around and I'm hiking around. I'm like, OK, we have literally painted ourselves into a corner, but we've been doing that all season. And everybody yeah. had been having, you know, the the game. And you said many, many times, I know he can't hurt her. She can't hurt him. So he's got to hurt her. Would you like to hear my impression of you? Okay. I know, oh, well, know he can't hurt her again. <laughs> and, and I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's <laughs> delightful. But we all played that game with you. We all played that game. What's it going to be? And you knew yeah. it was going to be Wyatt. You don't put something in the show for no reason. You don't put a kid yeah. on the phone saying, can you come home now? I just got here without a reason. That is saying there's the gun. It's smoking. Now, how how do we get mm-hmm. around it? So, yeah, I mean, I didn't know the particulars of season two when I started. At this point, I did know. I had one word in my mind, and I've said this, Aiden. And it was like I knew he's coming back. And then the writing room and the writing process decides when and how and if and all I know for this season is I just ordered us two more cocktails that's where we are and I think there can't be a more sex in the city and just like that ending than that which is Carrie and Seema on a beach and I did know that they were going to be on a beach at the end I knew that when we started I knew it was going to be Seema and Carrie it's so interesting that that is where we we end because the finale is bookended, of course, by a phone call from Samantha, which is a very sweet moment. We'll talk about that. But it's essentially her saying, I can't show up for you. And then we end with this glorious vacation with Seema, who has very much shown up for her throughout the show. And obviously, Seema is not a Samantha replacement. No one ever could be. But it is hard not to compare the two and sometimes feel like Seema's almost a reincarnation in some way, because not only, you know, there's the glamour and the irreverence and the sexiness and the all of that, but it's also that Seema has played this very specific vital role in healing this hole in Carrie's heart left, you know, by Big's death, obviously, but also by Samantha's absence. And even their names sound the same. So how... 
intentional are those Samantha Sema connections? I mean, the strongest color that Samantha always gave to the show was I'm the defiant single one. That was her essential DNA. Where they are similar is that they're both single. Where they differ greatly as characters, where there's no one standing in for anyone. We never thought about Seema as a replacement for Samantha because no one could ever replace Samantha. Right. What people are connecting to is Seema's the single one. And the massive difference is she wants to be with someone. She wants to be deeply in love. She wears her heart on her sleeve. It's much more difficult for her to be single now than it was for Samantha to be irreverently single 25 years ago. I mean, a woman in her 50s saying, I still haven't found love and I'm looking for it is the most heroic, strong, crusading character. And the, the heart connection the need for a deep love is where Carrie and Seema connect. The Carrie-Samantha connection is in the individual appreciation of each other's individual self. Mm -hmm. That amazing line Samantha said to Carrie after the affair, the affair is, honey, I don't judge. When she had the affair with Big, mm -hmm. aren't you going to, honey, yeah. I don't judge, not my style. I think Seema would judge. They're not the same person. Right. They're not the same person. There is a power to both of them that is thrilling. But Seema, in my mind and in my soul and in heart as a writer, is a completely different, much more delicate, exotic orchid than Samantha, who jumped a fence in high school to go to a swimming pool, to then she tried to do it again at the Soho house. She's more covered in armor, but they are, people come into our lives and leave depending on what we sort of need from them. And what Seema's doing to Carrie is calling her out on stuff that Carrie is now saying, I didn't see that part of myself. I didn't know. I said, good luck for you in the first. Good luck for you. Still out there. Good. That, how good for you or whatever she says. How brave of you. And in this season, she didn't even think about the Hamptons house. And Seema's constantly saying, my heart's here. It's open. It's hurt. And they're, they're sort of coming through the heart. And the other two are coming through the fabric of who they are. But uh, yeah, I think they're completely different. And the reason that it's Seema and Carrie on the beach is because their life situations are mirroring each other. They're in the same place at the same time, wondering what's next. Samantha's life has moved on. All she could really manage out of her busy London life was a one night stay over. So their, their souls are still connected, their lives are not. Whereas Carrie and yeah. Seema's souls are connecting and their lives are as well. And they're in town. They're in town, exactly. Uh, they're going to the same salon, another favorite scene of the season. So let's talk about the phone call. You know, I, of course, have leading up to this finale, overthought and overwrought my, my prayers and predictions around this 
and what it was going to mean. And I assumed, I think like most people did, that it was going to be the last uh, scene of the finale. And then, of course, it is the first. And I immediately thought like, oh, touche, Michael Patrick, keeping me on my toes, upending my uh, my expectations. But of course, once I saw it, I was like, yes, this is so right, because it this phone call doesn't need to weigh as much as it weighs in my psychotic imagination that's all tied up in the sort of like offstage storyline <laughs> because they are in each other's lives. And yes, it would have been a huge deal for her to fly to New York for one day, but also they're at that stage in their friendship where they can do it. And yeah, she's not going to make it today, but they're going to talk again soon. Okay, Matt, you're this guy. You tell one friend, let's go. I have a house in Aspen. Let's go skiing. And then you get there. And then you, the friend's unpacking. And you open the door, close the door behind you, and go, don't be mad. This other friend is here, too. I've invited them. Now, I know you're going to work this out on the slopes. You're, you're the one who will risk everything to get two people who you think belong together back together. And yeah. they're saying to you, I'm leaving now because that's not what I signed up for. I love that you love this relationship. I love it too. I love it too. But no one took your kidney. You don't have to sit mm -hmm. in a tub of ice. Uh, the, the actual, <laughs> I, I can't be, I couldn't be happier that you are um, I was going to say this delusional. No, blocked. I mean, now you're blocked on oh. Instagram. I mean, I, I, I mean, right. yeah. I mean, the reality is uh, the call. I'm happy that I upended your expectations. That's always our job to sort of give you what you want in a way you didn't expect it. Because if you can call the shots, then I am not doing my job. You have to be a little bit ahead and a little bit, there's always going to be a little disappointment. Yes. Yes. It would have been a different show if that door swung open like everybody thought. And Samantha said, I'm the 16th person, darling. <laughs> but it's not possible in reality. And even though this is fiction, I have to play with reality as much as I can in terms of what I can get. So the idea of a phone call and in my multiverse, they've always had phone calls. As you see the way Sarah Jessica plays it, it's like, hello, London. Like, yeah. it's not like, wait a minute, why are you calling me? It's like, hello, London. And if, if I had my dream, you would have been sitting at home, Matt, not thinking about it, thinking, oh, boy, I wish Samantha was in the show because that's all you think about. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> a phone call would have happened and you would have seen the word Samantha on the phone and your head would have blown off. And then you would have been running around the room with excitement and delight. And thank you for that gift. Instead, because of social media and the press, you got. I'm sorry. My entree is a little not quite hot enough. It's a little cold. I came a little later. It's still good. I can eat it, but it's a little colder. I was expecting a hot meal. I mean, listen, I, I, look, everything I works. The, uh, everything works. It, absolutely. You, no, no, everything works. Your dissatisfaction, your campaign, your suffragetteness, your your <laughs> constant chatter, your getting blocked, you talking about it any place you can. It's all the most magical 
experience because we're having an interactive television show experience. You're, the audience is going and coming and going and coming and loving and hating. And, and then they're like, oh, they did it. Oh, okay, now I love it again. Oh, no, okay. What's that about? What's that about? I, and the thing, the only bone I want to pick with you, and it's only one, and here it is from your, uh, your objective. I don't even know what Miranda's job is. Well, that's because you're so busy. Oh, I listening. knew you were going to say this. That is because you're so busy trying to analyze. You can't even let it mm. in. I can, so I'm going to cut and paste all the pipe. And that's a, a television writing term for everybody who doesn't write TV that sets up something so that it's all there. But I don't even know what Miranda's <laughs> job is. I get, I listen, I even thought about going back and editing in a line to clarify because I've been thinking about that. And I knew you were going to bring that up. But you know what, Matt? That, that was never a critique of the writing. That was simply me acknowledging, like, I'm not really smart enough to understand the mechanics of, like, what a human rights lawyer is and does. Well, it's so funny that. But I'm, I get the gist. It. That the writer would be like, wait a minute, that is a critique of writing, and even though it's not. But listen, the reality no. is, here's what is so funny about the way people watch this show, I've realized. There's one uh, column in some very famous magazine where they don't even experience the show. They're typing questions as they watch it. What show? Show it's not fat. You know, like it's, it's like there's no even an overview. It's just like I'm processing this right now and having a snap judgment about it. And that's what's so interesting because there is somebody driving this experience, whether you like it or not. The road is, the car's going someplace with a thought to it. Not you. Yeah, there is an entire uh, little like mini industry has cropped up of just sort of people unpacking the show and often snarking about the show. And that's that is not the business that I want to be in. Well, but listen, but it's the worst thing that can happen is if, you know, we used to say, why did you end sex in the city? Well, you know, leave the party while it's happening, you know, mm. and then the worst thing about TV is suppose you gave a TV show and nobody came. I mean, like, you know, how hard people write on shows, you know, how hard actors work how many hours and it's just like you're, you don't even know that it's on so the idea of i'll take the snark as long as i have conversation because it's it's yeah. really important that there's a dialogue and we sort of have had a very active back and forth with everybody about the show from fashion people to narrative people writers like you who have opinions to people who just think that these are their characters and they don't mm. want them to behave this way or they finally are glad that Charlotte's gone back to work and that Miranda's back finally at the, you know, but it was all hopefully by design, those moments when people were like, I had friends say to me, I'm not into Miranda at all. She has, she looks a mess and she better get it together. And then those people call me up at the end and go, good. She looked amazing and she was on BBC. Yeah, the look to mess and not together was on purpose so that you could feel the triumph Absolutely. at the end. It was so earned and it was a triumph because it's like, well, now we can see this version of Miranda in season three. That's like a hybrid of old Miranda and new and just like that Miranda, where she is a successful lawyer doing the version of law, the job that I definitely understand what it is. <laughs> but where she uh, but she's also a grown up. Like, that's something I always loved about her is that she was not afraid to be an adult 
and be the adult in the room. And like, she's going to be able to do that in a whole new way while also, you know, dating women this time around instead of guys. It's in so many departments add to that um, evolution that you're recognizing. I mean, when you said it's like the old Miranda, the new Miranda, when I saw with Molly Rogers and Danny Santiago put her on in the outfit, they put her in when she went to look at Carrie's Gramercy apartment, that lime green business suit. Like I'm looking at her and I flash right back to the first walk and talk where she's walking in a bad black business suit with her hair pushed back. And it's like, Oh yeah, there's, there's Miranda. But now, like after the journey, she's now gone from black to lime green with a yellow punchy purse. And she's still the same person, but you also had to go through fingering in the kitchen, Miranda. (laughs) You can't get there without a fingering. You can't. Yeah, never can. Uh, and yeah, that even the, that color scheme is like informed by this, you know, ill-fated trip to L.A. and the pole palette of L.A. and the Bougainvillea and the yeah. beach and everything. Like you can even see that in her now. Yeah, everything just, you experience uh, yeah. comes through and then you drop some of it and yeah. you keep some of it. But yeah, I mean, it was a really luxurious journey to take Miranda from the fingering to the finale this season i mean it was a big and with all the actors cynthia included the amount of a hundred percent commitment i mean miranda in that egg totally naked screaming fuck the new me i mean come on as a writer is come on and then to see her so beautifully realized at the beginning of something new is is thrilling it's really exciting and you know, the other legacy character that we should talk about is Charlotte. You know, I I think that we, the audience, when we were younger, it was easier to overlook her and take her for granted. One note. Because that's what you do with those friends in your life, too. Yeah, and it felt like her POV on, like, romance and family were maybe too simple, too provincial. Really? But doing this podcast, it has been a revelation how many people now either straight up identify as a Charlotte or at least just say how much they are loving her and appreciating her in a way because, you know, the older we get, the more she comes to represent the friend who is so fiercely in your corner oh, no matter what. Yeah. And we're able to appreciate her optimism and and also her strength. And I'm just very moved. I'm incredibly moved. The way you've made her, her this. I, I mean, last yeah. year I said, oh, She's sleeping in Carrie's bed when Carrie's can't even cover herself. Oh, oh, she's the mother. She's the mother now. She's mothering her own children and she's mothering her friends. And she's the tough mother yelling at Miranda, honestly, just tell me what I'm supposed to think about your sexuality. And then this season, we get to see our mother go to work. And we get to Mm -hmm. see our mother sort of come back when she says, I'm more than just your wife and your moms. And Kristen is so capable of breaking your heart in a second. It's just right tremulous under this, under the surface. And then she'll go right back to, I'm so, you know, she's, and you know, it's just, that is the ultimate testament to being able to play and to write a character for such a long time that as the actors grow the characters grow and what happens in Kristen's life now that she's a mother and has two kids it just all becomes so 
uh, it seeps in everywhere. And then she's hilarious. And we knew that, okay, it's a, it's a tapestry, right? Everybody has to have a cord in every episode. You're, you're pink, you're that, you're hot orange, you're blue. And for a lot of the shows, we were like, Kristen, Charlotte, you're, you're giving a hand job. You're, you're, you're <laughs> Casper the friendly come, and then you're running through the snow looking for condoms. And it's, it's this, this completely little engine that could do everything. And then finally you're like the conductor saying, that's it. This is, it's about me time. But Kristen was hilarious and poignant. And what I loved about just, let's talk about the phone call from Samantha, the way it plays in the show. Mm -hmm. You have Carrie with a side pony in a cover girl sweatshirt with a multicolored thing answering the phone. You have boss lady Samantha in metallics done within an inch of her life, currently mm -hmm. moving. That's how she travels, folks, on a plane. There's not a sweat in sight. Then you cut to Charlotte in a rumpled up Terry Mugler black dress with mascara running down her face. And to me, that says that the characters are changing and they're alive and they're still themselves. But seeing Kristen <laughs> roll over with her hair in her face and mascara, let me rephrase that, seeing Charlotte that way yeah. and then be strong, it's just great. But that's what happens if you're in the incredible luxurious position of having a show that is uh, powerful branding enough to risk a giant collab. <laughs> Basically, this is a collab mm -hmm. between those two shows. And it's really, really a treat. And all the actors and the new actors. And, you know, to me, there were so many surprises this season where I was just like, they can do anything. All of them. They're all amazing. Yeah. Warmer, sunnier days are a-coming, and you are probably working on those wellness goals for summer. I know I am, and I am fueling up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. With 35 different meals, more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, with Factor, you will always have new flavors to explore. And you know, when you support our sponsors, you support me and our show. So if you visit factormeals.com slash likemat50 and use code likemat50, you will get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription's active. So make your day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, you can stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. And these are premium ingredients. I'm talking restaurant quality meals like filet mignon, shrimp, blackened salmon. So head to factormeals.com slash likemat50 and use code likemat50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code likemat50 at factormeals.com slash likemat50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Well, they say time waits for no one and neither should payday. To get your money moving in the direction of your dreams, get Earn In. Earn In is the app that's helping millions of Americans feel self-sufficient without falling into debt traps. 
Earnin empowers you to live life to the fullest by providing up to $100 a day of your pay within minutes of earning it, no mandatory fees and no credit check. You just watch your earnings tick up as you work, access up to $750 per pay period. It's easy and free to get started. You just add your bank and employment info. They'll verify your paycheck. It's designed to support you in the short term and long term. So download Earnin today. That's E A R N I N in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, just type in Just Like Matt under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. That's Just Like Matt under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank, subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max and location. See earnin.com/tos for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Can I throw some listener questions at you? Yeah. That you wrote, that you wrote secretly? That I that I wrote and made up fake names for so that I could hide behind them? No. Uh, <laughs> Sahara Fun wrote in with this, and a couple other people did too, asking why Steve wasn't at the Last Supper. All right. This is the one thing I wanted to clarify because I saw that people thought he was invited. He wasn't. There's There was mm. a, this is a flaw in the writing. The line that she says when Miranda calls her and says, I'm not going to come after what Chase did last night. And Sarah Jessica says, "This you're coming, first of all, the most important line, you're alive and you're coming. And this is in high mm-hmm. school. And Miranda says, you don't know what he did to me. And she's saying, I'm not just talking about Che, I'm talking about Steve. You don't know anything about his life. For some reason, people thought, I'm not just talking about inviting Che, I'm talking about inviting Steve. Steve was never there. I would never, ever do that. So it was just a, it was a thread that got lost because she's saying, I'm not just talking about Che, I'm talking about Steve. And that got held over like that you have to come. It's more than one person. I see. Never. It was, that was just a very thin miscalculation in the writing if i had to rewrite it i would say this isn't about the dinner party look what you're doing with steve you know what i mean you don't know anything right, about right. his life gotcha yeah because I, I i thought that it was she was implying that steve was invited too and then there were people who were you know annoyed with carrie that she wouldn't just prioritize miranda and be like i'm not inviting your exes but so my well, interpretation exes, yes. was that would be brutal yes if she if if she had like the board game clue put, you know, Steve with the hatchet in the dining room and Jay with a plumbing wrench, you know, like you can't have two murderers at a dinner party, but in Carrie's defense, as I did write her in planner party at the moment that the invitations went out, Jay and Miranda were neutral and she didn't invite Steve. She would never do that because she didn't know where they were. So that was never happening. Now, we have to then take one step further into the diagnostics as to what happened after Miranda yelled at Jay on the street. Hmm. Do you really think that Carrie and Aiden sat there the rest of the night? And like, Che, go ahead, tell us some more jokes. I mean, and, you know, when someone makes a really embarrassing exit out of a public place and all eyes are on them, first thing you think is, well, I can't make it worse by storming out with them. That makes it worse, even if you want to. So I think Che left. 
Aiden threw some cash on the table. They both chugged their drinks and went out that front door that Toby came in. And then maybe Che called Carrie and said, that was fucked up. I didn't know that she was there. And Carrie's like, yeah, I don't get stand-up. I even told you I don't get it. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> but I don't think it was untalked about. And Carrie would never set Miranda up. Of all those people, of all those people. Miranda's more yeah. important to carry than anybody. Of course. Of course. Um, Brian asks if there is a world where Miranda moves out of Naya's closet and into one of the many spare rooms in Carrie's new mansion. Well, I think Brian is uh, already echoing something that Miranda says in the show. Uh, can you see me here? Because That's I'm right. moving in. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Naya and Miranda were good for each other when they were good for each other, just like Miranda and Che are good for each other when they were good for each other. So who knows what's going to happen? Yeah, Miranda doesn't have to live in a padded egg carton for the rest of her life. That's not that's not our design. They were, she was trying to be close to her house, which was three minutes from Nias. She even says that to Carrie. It's it's real close to my house. I can stay there. It's temp. Everything is temp, except Seema. She's not a temp. Mm. Everything was temp. That's right. Everything was temporary for Miranda. She just got herself together. I don't really think she's going to. There's no place to hang up her lime green suits now in that place. <laughs> there has to be some yes. movement forward. But there is room in Gramercy Park for those suits. Mm -hmm. Well, now you're expecting uh, so, it, so maybe not. <laughs> of course, I know. Damn it. Um, my friend Brian Moylan asked why you chose to send Stanford off the way that you did. Um, the, the most thrilling thing for me would have been to have ding dong, door open, Louis Vuitton trunks with, I've been to Japan stickers on them, and Stanford standing at Carrie's door going, Surprise, I made it. But Willie is no longer on Earth. So I didn't like the fact that we had to pretend that he was in the first season, that he went to Japan for TikTok just because it felt like thin ice to me. I didn't know what else to do at that point. I didn't want to disservice him or dishonor him by just pretending it didn't exist. So in my mind, I started the first episode this season. Carrie says, oh, this kimono was sent to me by my friend Stanford from Japan. So there I located him in Japan. And then I put him in a temple because I wanted Willie to be in heaven. The end. I wanted Willie yeah. Garson to be in surrounded by golden light and be with whatever people consider God to be. I wanted to put Willie's spirit in a restful place. And because Sarah Jessica and I, after the second movie, <laughs> which, by the way, I am rewriting history you on that should. one too. That should be Just your campaign now that you've gotten Samantha. <laughs> Let's relook at Sex in the City too, because speaking of Samantha, and I'm going on the record for the first time, is everybody out of their minds? Samantha threw condoms at religious men in the Middle East. That epic experience alone should justify respect for that movie when you're talking about women's rights repressed cultures what's still happening in the middle east about women's rights too far ahead of the time but samantha jones mm -hmm. screamed i have sex to religious men in a souk 
anything else is gravy compared to the rest of that yeah. movie. You can do whatever you want. That alone should be a thing. But um, the after Sex in the City 2, the press was not, spoiler alert, kind. And we um, were in Japan. Sarah Jessica went from, I, and I went from Tokyo to Kyoto. And we were sort of just sightseeing. I was like a crumpled up paper cup. She was resilient mm -hmm. as always. And we would just walk around and gawk around. And there's a lot of temples in Kyoto. And they're just temples for people to walk into. And so we went into a couple of temples. And I liked the way it felt. I liked the way it smelled. There were flowers on the table, on the altar. And uh, Sarah Jessica would sit there. And I would sort of release or feel things. And I thought, OK, Sarah Jessica and I are close. Willie and Sarah Jessica were close. Carrie and Stanford are close. In my little Band-Aid in season one, I said he was in Japan. <laughs> so I just mm -hmm. thought, put him someplace like that. And then we had the risk of uh, putting him in a Shinto monk robe because I did my research. And you can be a Shinto monk robe almost by willing it, just by being there. You don't have to be Japanese. You don't even have to be converted. You just have to be true of heart. And so I thought, OK, why not? And then I can let him rest, the character, Stanford. Mm -hmm. And you can, it's ridiculous. It's silly. You can see him saying to people, you're standing too close to the altar. Can you take a step back? <laughs> VIP, yeah. VIP area. I mean, or I think there's a little Stanford left, but I would hope that there was a big evolution in his TikTok uh, shout down anybody who's had a somebody fire them they have to go whether it be a network a partner you have to go on some sort of a if you're healthy you go on some sort of a inward search so that's what happened and I have to tell you I'm gonna say my favorite thing in the entire season two entire and I love a lot of it is Carrie drinking that Cosmo in one gulp oh yeah I, I think because I didn't know she was gonna do it and I'm watching her and she just kept going. And I got chills because I felt it was spontaneous. I felt it was the most kind of amazing actor choice. But to me, it was the most carry thing to just drink a Cosmo in one gulp with an intermission where she winks at Anthony in the middle. I. I, I thought it was legendary for me emotionally and for Carrie Bradshaw to do it. And I thought, I don't, yes, maybe this scene is not necessary for a narrative, but to me, that moment is the, in pajamas, mm. in heels, with a messy blonde mane of hair and just Tim Norman, our DP, I just said, just make her in heaven. Just light coming in that window. To me, I will always think of that moment as something that took my breath away. Same. And it, it worked on so many levels because it was it was an, an homage to Sanford. You can see him tilting his head back and, and, and downing a Cosmo yeah. in Sex in the City. And that it was also Carrie being like, I've lost a lot, and if I'm going to have a drink, I'm going to have a fucking drink right now. I'm going to do it all. She's, 
Yeah, and you yeah. know that specifically was staged because when Carrie and Stanford would have their scenes in Sex and the City, he was the only character that ever had like kind of one-on-ones with her in her apartment. I mean, Charlotte mm-hmm. came in when she saw the big announcement in the in the in the paper and said, "I've seen it," you know. And Charlotte came in when she saw the Vogue bride disaster in the movie. But it's always been Carrie and Stanford sipping and smoking in that those on that chaise lounge and that chair. So it has great roots in the series and in the filming of the show for me and for Sarah Jessica. Oh, I can't get enough of it. If it was a meme, I would watch it all the time. Yeah. Uh, Somebody named Grant wrote in. I already know what you're going to say to this one. Why don't you answer Uh, it? You ask the question and then you answer it. Here we go. Well, Grant asks, Stanford said he was an all-time top, and now you're telling us Anthony never bottomed, question mark? Well, again, this is in the pipe. This is in the dialogue, Grant, because uh, as Anthony mentions, or maybe Giuseppe, I think Anthony says, there are a lot of uh, gay relationships that are never penetrative. And as we know, especially from watching Sex and the City 2, they had... uh, an open relationship and then some. Yeah. So I, it's, yeah. People it's, have. It, it is very possible. What people are saying about Anthony having been never bottomed is so cancel worthy. The idea that you can <laughs> bottom or top shame anyone nowadays is hysterical, let alone a fictional character. But here's my feeling about that. Yes, we always on Sex in the City. You're right, Matt. You answered for me very well. Thank you. Now I'll answer. I'll do a little addendum to the Matt. And just like Matt, and now I'll talk. Um, uh, the thing that I love about that scene where they talk about it is it's never been heard. Never been heard. And, you know, we got to do a lot of things on Sex in the City that were like, what? Took a slingus? Never been heard. A, a, a guy wanted mm-hmm. to lick Miranda's ass. Half of the people in the world didn't even know that that was on the menu, as Carrie said. Is that on the menu now? Um, but uh, so penetrative, not penetrative, top, bottom. But reality is that new the new Gs, the new gays are much more versatile. It starts with the porn where it's now allowed to be both. And you're just like, oh, that's wow. OK, that's all new messaging quite frankly, for men of uh, Stanford's generation and Anthony's generation. I think both of them are performative, Stanford and Anthony. I think Anthony is a control freak. He even says, I have to be in control. I think he's always a little piston. I don't know if he, he, maybe he wants to be bottom, but it's not the role he's playing in his world. He's like, I'm the top, I'm in, I'm out, goodbye. Like he's that guy. So I, he even says, I've never really been in love. The only other time I was, I would think Anthony had tons of casual sex. And I don't think he's very comfortable being vulnerable. So that would imply to me in the math of ancient gay sex, that would imply I'm not vulnerable. I'm going to be the top if I want to have sex. Stanford told people he had a thriving manager business and never, never, never saw a manager, (laughs) didn't have one famous person. Stanford would say whatever he felt he wanted to say, oh, I'm top, top all the time. I mean, come on. It's so overwritten. It's so flowery. But in their relationship, if there was penetration, and I say if, there could have been or could not have been. I'm pretty sure it wasn't Anthony. In my fictional yeah. imagination of this bulldog, 
crossed with a Manchester Terrier that is Anthony, I don't think there's a lot of openness when it comes to strangers and having sex. I hope I answered. That. Yeah, but big time. I'm surprised. And, you know, it, it, there's a whole other element to it, which is that Anthony is, you know, somebody who. I mean, this is obviously um, a much darker interpretation, but he surely lost a lot of friends in the '80s and '90s, and as we know. Topping does not protect you from uh, contracting HIV, but that was a pervasive um, idea. Matt, there is definitely in men of that generation, there is a there was a DNA based code of fear when it came to penetrative sex. The end. And that's all. And then it depends how comfortable you are. And, you know, Sex in the City started out as about sex in the city, and then it became about love. So, you know, all gay relationships are not just about sex. Some of them are about love and sex and love and sex. And as you see at the end, Anthony dropped his guard for the first time and sort of morphed into a montage, which went from comedy pain to... Uh, oh, rapture or something. I don't know. But if you if you slow it down, look at the um, end table. I put every kind of male lubricant on, on boy butter. And, you know, you know, Mario, who is one of the funniest people in the world. We were filming that scene and he had the crew laughing so hard because he kept doing Marlon Brando and Apocalypse Now going, I can't believe it's not boy butter. I mean, everybody was so, I mean, most of the crew uh, is straight. So here we are doing a very sort of quote unquote graphic gay sex. And so Mario, always the tension breaker is just like doing boy butter. It's like, I can't believe it's not boy butter. I mean, it was, it was one of the funniest nights. And then you have Sebastian, Sebastino Pegasi, who plays Giuseppe, which is ridiculous that that actually worked. I mean, we wrote a hung poet from Italy and we found one who's Italian from who lives in Italy who looks like a Disney prince and it went from being a dirty joke to being like you know the princess and the pea this is like the prince and the package <laughs> it just like all of a sudden it was like dirty funny and sweet mm -hmm. and somehow it was believable but the whole the whole the whole arc of this, the thing was to be able to show, as we try to do every year, how can you deepen, no pun intended, these characters? How can mm -hmm. you make them grow? How can you show another side to them and still maintain their comedy or their familiarity? Yes, that to me, in my mind, as you're, you know, very close, intimate friend, is the Michael Patrick King specialty about, as I mentioned, upending expectations and always subverting, showing these characters in a light that we haven't seen yet. And there was a big element of surprise. There has been throughout and just like that, but I feel like especially in, in season two. And, you know, for me, it was even down to the way that Wyatt was used. You know, I went down this rap, this mental rabbit hole where why it was about, um, oh, we're finally going to see the Carrie Bradshaw motherhood story. That, going back to the the second movie, you know, we touch on the fact that she and Big don't have kids in that, and, and there's sort of a bittersweet moment, but we've never had any kind of emotional outburst or, um, you know, 
a, a, a big like sort of like spotlight on the fact that Carrie has chosen not to have kids. And I thought, oh, God, here we go. And then, of course, it, it's completely subverted. That's not the direction we go. Wyatt, you know, represents something else entirely. And we still get to see a little taste of Carrie in a maternal role with Shoe the Kitten. Yeah. I mean, the the big jump that I was I, I could feel like last year was Cleveland when Miranda says, I'm going to Cleveland. And then people would say, what happened in Cleveland? <laughs> I go, mm-hmm. We couldn't do it. We couldn't do it production wise. Um, Virginia was, uh, you know, every uh, reactions inform choices, even in little and big ways. Sometimes the reaction to Che informed some of our choices this season. And um, when we did in Sex and the City, I think you'll know these two episodes, the L.A. episodes, they were uh, considered less than by the fans. And I always was so surprised by that because I thought they were so spectacularly realized. And what the the drumbeat was, we don't want to be out of New York. Right. We don't want to. We don't care who the characters are. We don't want to leave New York. They're not them if they're not in New York. So when the idea came, the choice came of Carrie's going to Virginia it was like that's a lot of time out of New York. That's a lot of time away. And what would we see? Not sure, but it wouldn't be worth going for one moment. And I have seven ensemble players or stars. And I just felt like, okay, the predictable thing is, and we already saw Carrie on the farm. It's always about like, yeah. don't repeat. So the the idea of jumping past it was what we wanted to do. And the only thing we did differently, which I would go back and change, was the first scene back that you saw. Right now, Carrie's mm-hmm. laying in bed and Aiden comes home. The first scene we had coming back was Carrie and Miranda and Charlotte eating lunch and the boys FaceTime her ah. and Miranda's horrified that they're now, Carrie's horrified that they're now those people who are taking a FaceTime of kids at lunch. So she buys mm. the single ladies at the next table lunch. But the idea was that you would see two of the kids and then the third kid wouldn't want to come on the phone. Right. And I thought that would have been something that maybe you see these kids interacting with her. But at the time, it was like, "Mm, I don't know. Maybe we didn't know yet or else it felt like real estate that was not ripe. But uh, yeah, yeah, we've never seen it. Never seen Carrie with kids. And now she has a kitten. She has a kitten. And that that was another decision. We were like, when we give her this kitten, is it going to be cat lady? Or is it going to be Carrie and a kitten? And I have to say, I was worried about the moment because it was written that Carrie's standing in the window holding the kitten, looking at Aiden go. And I, in my mind, I was like, is that going to be like Miss Haversham or the lady from the heiress? Or is she going to be yeah, like Jerry Jones? Jerry Jones in it up there in the corner with the spinster with the kitten. And I just thought it was fantastic. And then she drops the kitten on the floor and picks up the phone. She's a real person. She's not like crying into the cat, you know? So I I thought it was an interest. It's all impulse, Matt. You know that it's all impulse. Jay gives Carrie a kitten. Why? 
it's impulse. Then she'll have a kitten and then we'll name it shoe. It's all impulse. And sometimes you go like, Hey, that, that, that was, that worked out. Can you imagine we almost didn't do that? But mm-hmm. the kitten was just totally like a gossamer thought that came through the air. And Sarah Jessica was like, yes, kitten. And then it's like, get the kitten. Um, I, I know I'm so greedy with your time once I get you, and I promise I'm going to let you go. Quickly, two sort of fan theories that I would love to run past you. And this, this is mm-hmm. going into the conspiracy realm. This is a, a, a kookier mm-hmm. uh, idea. Well, oh, by the talking. way, I, I will have to say that the only time I would ever jump off your your your, your expose, your extravaganza, was A, when it started to get negative. I was like, I can't, can't hear mm-hmm. it. I would jump off perfectly fine and two when anyone started fan theory like if fans called oh. up i would get off immediately so i'm wide open i haven't heard these because okay. i don't i don't want to know what people think should happen because then it gets in my mind but go ahead. right oh, and this is too far out of the realm of this we're okay. going into like sci-fi basically here okay. so you don't have to worry about it um you know touching too close to home so one theory, uh, a, a, a listener, actually his name's Anthony, called in with that blew my mind was about the Carrie and Samantha Rift. And, you know, I was, uh, last time you were here, I was positing that it was actually about Carrie turned her back on Samantha and was no longer a good friend to her because of her marriage to Big, which you essentially told me I was wrong about. That's fair. But this no, I've listener. Heard, I've heard you go further down the road with that. Hmm. And I think that there is, I'm not going to say that it's true, but I think that when your single friend gets married, there's a vibration shift that could yeah. fuel, depending on who the people are, you could drift apart. But I, I, I understand the birth of your theory and then the madness that you follow it is just your particular crazy. Well, Anthony <laughs> takes this crazy way further, which is that, you know, he recalls, I can't remember the episode of Sex in the City where um, Donald Trump makes an appearance and oh Samantha God. has a um, social it's relationship the, it's the with him. the episode where Samantha is going to have sex with the old guy, but she sees his saggy, flabby ass and right. runs, out of the, runs out of the townhouse. And Trump was used to justify that this man was actually wealthy. Right. So if Trump is talking to him at the Oak, bar i think it was at the waldorf uh that meant by the way trump that validates have, by the way trump never spoke which is i think the best use of him absolutely well anthony's theory is that because of her social relationship obviously we know that samantha is progressive in in so many ways but we also know that there are rich rich people who sort of uh toss those values aside and vote uh-huh. in favor of their tax there are a lot of real housewives who um are sure. you know friends of the lgbtq plus community but openly voted for trump just because they were like well i sort of knew him socially and uh, anthony's idea is that there's a world where samantha fell uh, into that category and it caused a rift between her and the other girls who obviously all voted correctly. Oh my God, that's fantastic. That <laughs> is, uh, Samantha's a public relations maven. She wouldn't let anyone know how she voted. Mm. Um, she also represents so many, she wouldn't let anybody know. Who do you, when you go in that ballot boat, who knows? I don't know. The reality is, uh, I'll tell you right now, if. If it was now, I don't think that, I think Samantha leads with her women's rights, period. Yeah. 
So I think there would be any doubt where she's voting now. But I, I don't think that the, the, the ladies had a riff over uh, Trump. Over I, Trump. I think, I think maybe they had a couple of laughs over him. But, I, you know, in, in New York society, not before mm. he ran for office. I don't, I don't even like to think. I'm wide open to so many ideas of Sex in the City and the cosplay and the fan fiction. I boot that out that tarnishes Samantha. you're right it tarnishes samantha in a way that we, we that cannot out. do but i i applaud his very clever connecting it to real life slash this show that's fantastic well done anthony. Here, anthony you have done yeah. your homework so this second theory is not is not even really like a like a story theory it's kind of exists outside the show in the in the in the real world this is my friend deanna the episode where um, Seema and Carrie are talking about the Hamptons and they make an offhand Bethany Frankel joke. They don't want to go to the Hamptons because Bethany Frankel's there. Deanna's theory is that um, Bethany. I'm leaning in. I'm leaning in. <laughs> I leaned Bethany's, away for Trump. I'm leaning in for this. Okay, okay. So Bethany's on this crusade to, to, to unionize reality performers, which is that is a is a worthy cause i think but it's all this sort of like revenge thing against bravo because she feels like she's been done wrong by bravo you know she suddenly turned her back on andy even though andy has always been good to her and deanna's theory is that that scene was the straw that broke the camel's back for bethany because the connection of sarah jessica to andy to bravo to bethany felt like um like blatant disrespect, almost as if like, you know, Sarah Jessica owed it to her relationship to Andy to not use the, the joke or something like that. And that she, because it's such an institution, it's such a, um, a, you know, it is this aspirational show and world to have Carrie Bradshaw make a joke about you. I, I can see that being the thing that finally drove Bethany Frankel over the edge. Okay, Sarah Jessica is the most lovely person ever and never, never, I don't know what goes on in her mind, but she never says anything bad about anyone in, in the public eye that I ever heard. Secondly, Harry doesn't make the joke. Seema makes the joke and Carrie goes, ha. Right. Is, I've always had a reason to, to, to back out. And Seema says, was that, is the reason always Bethany Frankel? And Carrie goes, ha. Now, to me, Seema's world is real estate. And in my cosplay, she has tried maybe five times to get Bethany the perfect Hamptons house. And <laughs> I would assume from what I know that Bethany is a real estate broker's nightmare. I'm just painting a yes, picture. It has yes. nothing to do, but it feels like real estate wars. And I have, I think Bethany is bright, hilarious, a, a, a one of a kind force. This to me, when I wrote it and I wrote it, so you should take Sarah Jessica out of the mix. This to me was, who is Seema in the Hamptons mm. and who is in the Hamptons? And I have to say the fault lies with Bethany putting her Hamptons house as a character on the real housewives. If I hadn't seen it, 
I would have never connected her to the Hamptons. I would have thought downtown loft. But the idea that she proudly put her Hamptons house into the mix made me think, see him in the Hamptons? Oh, I yeah. bet she showed Bethany about five houses. And it's never perfect. Or else it is. And then it's like, could you come over here and look at this? That's what no. I think. It has nothing to do with personality. It has to do with real estate in my imagination. But yet, yet again. Fair. You know, this show is all about honest conversations where we, we really face our fears. And for some of us, it's a fear of aging. For some of us, it's a fear of carbs. And hey, I get it. The fear is real. But that is why I'm so excited to tell you about our sponsor, Hero Bread. Hero Bread has remade many of your favorite foods, but in these fluffy, delicious versions that include no net carbs, zero grams sugar, and fewer calories, plus protein and fiber. Two of my favorite things. I've always said, if I ever have twin children, their names are gonna be protein and fiber. What did I have for lunch today? A tuna sandwich on their seeded bread. It was the perfect texture. It toasts up just like a dream. My God, was it good. And right now, if you go to hero.co and use code like Matt, you will get 10% off your first order. So don't give up on being a breadhead because Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to hero.co, use code like Matt at checkout. That's like Matt at H E R O.co. Crazy. Crazy. Meta. That's what the show's all about. Um, so I know you can't tell me anything about season three. You don't, you don't even know what's happening in season three, but let's just say for fun that the strike ends in a couple of weeks. What happens first? Oh, we get in a room and we start talking about what we did and how we blew it up and how do we put it back together and what, what do we want to see and what didn't we like and what, what do we need more of and Oh, what can we do to each of these characters' lives that will surprise them and hopefully delight and, and anger the audience and then hopefully delight them again after they get over their anger for that moment or that week or that arc? Give all the podcasters something to, to squawk about. I mean, look, it is a, an enormous compliment. That's what I'm choosing to say. It's an enormous compliment that people are spending time dissecting, talking, trashing, loving, and uh, living this reality that we're putting out there in the world. And it's especially nice that it's being recognized by the platform that it's on as a thing. And it's, it was a high risk. It's a real high risk to have taken their, I would say, clearly one of their most cherished brands and let me uh, break it and build it into something new in closing uh oh, do we the last do supper uh, listen yeah. I'll, I'll do another hour but um i thought a nice way to end you know the, the last supper in the finale they go around the table and say one thing they're letting go of everyone says one word and this was another you know when carrie does this beautiful monologue and then che goes carrie that was way more than one word it was to me again as your best friend, classic Michael Patrick King, um, treacle cutter. Yes, and, and a stand-up fucking can't take it. Yeah, they have to take right. the advantage and put the spotlight on them. And it also that moment encapsulated, I 
what we love about you and about this show, because there was this willingness to be so open hearted and sincere with everything that Carrie said, and at the same time, totally make a joke out of it. And both things can coexist because as Carrie reminds us, life is too short. But in honor of The Last Supper, I'd love to hear from you one thing that you're letting go of. And it doesn't have to be one word. Um, you know, when you write these things, they're somehow coming out of you like you're a magic eight ball and you just wait and see what comes up. And I think it's no uh, surprise uh, that expectations is what she let go of because I think it's really um, a curse. And mm. I would, you know, how things should go and I, you know, how, how, how a show should, let's be specific, how a show should be received versus how it's being received. And what does that mean if it goes a different way or you don't get that season after so many years of practicing hard for that moment and you don't get it. I think letting go of expectations is really good. And I, and that means also expectations of what other people think of me. That would be the most personal I could mm. be about this is the expectations of that. And the thing about that scene that I liked so much is that it really does uh, culminate in what this series was attempting. If you look at Carrie Bradshaw standing there and you look at the people around the table, they represent just how current Carrie Bradshaw is as a character. And it might have been some heavy lifting to get everybody to follow along. But if you look at the different types of people and the different races of people and the different ages of people and that they're all at her party, at her table, it says, yeah, Carrie Bradshaw, now 26 years in, is as contemporary and current as anything. She's alive and the show is trying to be present in this moment. And this is who's in this world for her. And they're not people that were in her world 20 years ago. So it's a, it's a good lesson to be open to new people coming in. You know, I mean, it's that classic thing. My mother used to say, keep new friends, but, you know, make new friends, but keep the old. One is silver and the other is gold. I mean, it's really, you know, poof. Uh, to have friends in your life. And that's what your whole podcast has been about, is you talking about how your friends are aging and moving through this world. And I mean, look, there's nothing better than doing something that people are pitting themselves against. <laughs> like, this is my life. This isn't my life. I mean, mm. isn't writing just about trying to reflect back something that we're all experiencing in a, in a, in a more checkerboard Oscar de la Renta hair Hair, horse hair skirt way than we normally do sitting here in our t-shirts. It's great. And I would let go of expectations, yet I have great expectations for season three, so I'm mm. fucked. I, I let go of it, and I, then I needed to have it. Because if <laughs> I don't have expectations, I won't know what to shoot for, even if we fall short of them. So I don't know. I guess I would have been a bad guest at the dinner party. I would have been Che. I would have made the Che <laughs> joke. I would have made the Che joke. I would have. Well, great expectations are not the same as regular expectations. And no. I, I think we all have great expectations for, for what's to come. Um, and I'm so grateful for you giving me your time and just giving me something to live for every week, giving me no, and listen. all of my friends something to talk about. 
Look, I am grateful for your time more than you're grateful for my time, because it really meant a lot that you, one of the early Christians, saw the message mm. of it just like that and was like, no, no, I smell something. I smell something that I like, and I'm going to defend it and stand up for it and watch the tide turn and then it'll turn back again, Matt. And I am happy for your uh, allegiance and your uh, criticisms. I'm a man of faith. What can I say? You are. Thank you so thank much, you. Michael Patrick. Thank you. King. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. And thank you to anybody who listens. It's it's this thrill. And just like Matt is a wild podcast production created and hosted by me, Matt McConkey. Our executive producer is Renee Colbert. If you've got a burning question about a relationship or friendship problem, or really anything Sex and the City adjacent, just record a voice memo on your phone and email it to us at andjustlikematt at gmail.com, and I'll answer your question on the show with my very fancy guests. 